In the 1990s, with the revitalized, expanded universe taking shape, the Tales of the Jedi comic series gave readers their first glimpse of Jedi and Sith thousands of years before the events explored by the movies and other fiction. Towards the end of the title's run, writer Kevin J. Anderson took readers back even further with prequel story arcs, the Golden Age of the Sith and the Fall of the Sith Empire, and we're going to talk about them today. You're listening to Legends in 15 Minutes from the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. Hello and welcome back to Legends in 15 Minutes from the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. Thanks for listening. I am your host again for today, Johnny Maynor, but as ever, I am not alone. I am joined today by a man thoroughly well-versed in Star Wars Legends lore, a a veritable philosopher king of Bookstagram, the man they call Bookstagramaticus, it's Alex Taylor. Hello, Alex. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's great to have you here, Alex. And we, we've been in touch for a couple of years now on Instagram, sort of through Star Wars stuff. Uh, but we've never actually spoken before today, so it's a real pleasure. It really is. Um, we had hoped to have a third voice with us today, but it wasn't meant to be. But I think there is more than enough here for us to talk about between ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I know that you read or reread these stories in preparation for our chat today, but when did you first read these ones? I did. So I first read these, well, shortly after they were published. I uh, bought the trade paperbacks uh, and, and read those. So, yeah, I, I think these were published in 97, 98. That is right. Yes, yeah. actually, that, that that that's a nice segue into giving folks a bit of context on 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 the wheres and whens and mm-hmm. why fors. So um, we are talking about the Tales of the Jedi comics. These were first published. The earliest issues of that run were published in late nineteen ninety three. So quite early on in terms of the, the re-energized publishing efforts in the wake of Heir to the Empire, etc. Uh, those early arcs were written by Tom Vetch, and we'll, we'll talk about those on the show in a couple of weeks' time. Today, we're talking about these two prequel arcs that were published, um, as Alex has said, in 1997, I think between 96 and 97. Uh, and they were almost, mm-hmm. but not quite, the last of the series, even though they were um, sort of prequel stories as such. Uh, these arcs were written mm-hmm. by Kevin J. Anderson, who had taken over from Vetch and who was, I guess, a Star Wars regular at that time, having written the, the Jedi Academy trilogy, among some other, among some other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're, you're a fan of Anderson's um, the, Illustrated, the Illustrated Galaxy. Is that what that's called? Yeah, the, the Illustrated Star Wars Universe. It's a great book. Really fun. Yeah, it's almost sort of written as an in-universe travelogue sort of a thing, but presented right, with, right. The, with these glorious... Um... Ralph Macquarie paintings. Yeah. yeah beautiful stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Kevin J. Anderson, right at the heart, I think, in the, in the mid-90s, right at the heart of bringing things together. Um... Yeah, much like Troy Denning really characterized the Fate of the Jedi and the Legacy series toward the end of the expanded universe in the mid nineties, Kevin J. Anderson was maybe the defining voice of, of that period. I, I remember reading the Jedi, well, we're going off paste, <laughs> but I remember reading the Jedi <laughs> Academy trilogy in my mm. teens in the nineties and realizing that, Oh, this, this is referring to like this whole comic 
series that I haven't read before called right. Dark Empire and the Emperor came back and what? You know, so yes. it's, you know, and all that, that that sort of blew my mind. Those those sort of he really pioneered the transmedia efforts. Yes. He his voice was really important in making that happen because prior to his uh insistence that that they they collaborate in that way, uh the Dark Horse comics and and the the at the time Bantram Spectra novels were being produced kind of in a vacuum and they didn't really care about what was going on. And he said, wait, 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 we got to treat this seriously. Yeah, indeed. How can we tell more stories about Luke in prose without acknowledging that he's actually dealt with a resurrected emperor? Right. It's huge. Yeah, it's it's apocalyptic. We have to address this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the great Kim J. Anderson. Um, these arcs of his, they have been published in trade paperbacks. Uh, they've been collected in Dark Horse Omnibus under the title Tales of the Jedi Volume 1. More recently in a Marvel epic collection under the title Tales of the Jedi Volume 2. Um, easy to get tangled up with, with um, the naming conventions and some of those omnibuses yeah. and collections. Uh, in terms of timeline, Golden Age of the Sith and the Fall of the Sith Empire, which really tell one cohesive story, take place around 5,000 years before the Battle of Yavin and, and the Skywalker saga. Uh, so I guess if folk are listening to this show in order and have just listened to some stuff on Dawn of the Jedi, we're about 20,000 years after right. that stuff. So you know, massive jump, biggest jump. I think that we've got um, the biggest mm-hmm. gap we've got in the, in the Legend of Timeline. Um, so the yeah. plot sees adult twins and hyperspace explorers Jory and Gav Daragon stumble into the far reaches of the galaxy and upon Korriban, uh, the ancient homeworld of the Sith and a civilization of red or maybe pink in some panels, skinned <laughs> aliens who centuries earlier had been subjugated by and interbred with dark Jedi who were exiled from, from the Republic. Uh, the arrival of the Daragon twins coincides with a power struggle within the Sith and precipitates the great hyperspace war between the Sith Empire and the Republic. Um, Alex, I want to talk first of all about the Sith. I mean, they're they're yeah. being explored here in the 1990s and presented in a very different way to anything that has been explored on screen, either by Lucas or anyone else since, for that matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what can you tell the folks listening about the Sith that we see here? Yeah, well, I, I think there are a couple of interesting dimensions to focus on here. One is is aesthetic, uh, and, and that has to do with the whole visual style and presentation of this series. Uh, and the other is cultural. What, what are the Sith as they're presented here? Um, so the, the aesthetic dimension, as I was going through this time, um, I, I kept making note of different real-world cultural influences that I was seeing in the costumes, the architecture, the arms and, and weapons of these, these characters. Um, and I identified uh, Babylonian, Egyptian, Greek, pre-Columbian, Mesoamerican, uh, Indian, Chinese, Japanese, and Celtic influences. So there's a lot going on here. What they all have in common is that they're all ancient. Yeah. So this was an attempt, very pointedly, on the the part of uh, the artists here, in a way that had not even been done in the the Tales of the Jedi series, which takes place about two thousand years later, but was published, as you pointed out earlier, um, to really make an effort to imagine what antiquity 
in the already long ago faraway galaxy might have looked like. Yeah. And so in order to pull that across, uh, they, they tapped into real world antiquity. But they, they drew from enough different cultures from around Earth uh, that it didn't just feel like, oh, well, it's ancient Egyptians. In yes. Space. I was looking today at um, some of the panels on Korriban, you know, mm -hmm. sort of the, the Valley of the Tombs, which at this stage we've seen in various incarnations in, the, in legend. Right. In the uh, Knights of the Old Republic uh, yeah, video games. Yeah. Anybody instance. who's played that game will know that valley very, very well. Yes. Yeah. It's such an iconic location and looking at these sort of almost sort of trapezoidal structures sort of, is there something mesoamerican going on there but it's not quite it's right it, it's you know you're absolutely right you don't look at this stuff and, and sort of automatically think that is one thing from yeah Earth culture it's a genuine mishmash of stuff right and altogether what this results in uh visually and and also culturally is something kind of like Robert E. Howard and, and his successors and imitator, imitators uh, did with, with the Hyborian Age yeah. of, of Conan. I wondered so if we is... would get on to Conan, so I'm, 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 thrilled, yeah. I'm thrilled that you've brought him up. Yeah, there, there is definitely a kind of Hyborian Age in space thing going on here. To, to my eye, and I'm not as familiar with that stuff as you are, but to my eye, particularly with some of the female characters, Oh yeah, um, you know the, 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 there are some of the costumes and, and, and to the, the way they're drawn. To me, just, I'm seeing Red Sonia. I'm seeing you know all of that. Well, stuff. right, and and Edgar Rice Burroughs' uh, Red Martians, you know, from the the John Carter novels. Uh, I mean, the fact that the Sith are red, I think, is significant there. Um, yeah, um, which is an interesting little retcon in, in and of itself. Yeah, it is that that they made them. A distinct species. Yeah, because e even when Sith Lord Nagasada was seen in the Tales of the Jedi stories that Anderson had written before this, mm -hmm. but he, he looks human. Yeah, he looks human. He looks human right. with a pointy beard, <laughs> but he, yeah, he, he's not pink skinned and doesn't have the cheek tendrils and, and the, the other things right. that, he, he, that he has here. Yeah, it's almost a Klingon look. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like like the Klingons, I suppose they've had a makeup change. Yes, yeah, that's that's an interesting correlation. Yeah, so um, they they look ancient, and their their society is obviously run on very ancient lines. Uh, they're they're divided into a caste system that's uh, maybe analogous to the the ancient Indo-European castes, like we see in India with. The, the Brahmin, the, the warrior, I'm sorry, the um, priest scholars at the top. That's like the Sith Lords. Uh, and then you've got the, uh, well, the Kshatriya in, in India are high caste warriors. But here we've got low caste Masasi warriors. Yeah, um, very much at the bottom. Yeah, they're, they're like slaves. Um, but it's, it's a similar concept of these this very stratified society where there's there's not any movement up and down between castes here i mean one of the other things that fascinates me about the sith in in these stories is the the way that sith and sith powers and sith magic is, is represented and it, it's something very very different something that we hadn't seen before um right in star wars um we knew that the sith 
were sort of great adversaries of the Jedi. Um, although quite what that meant, we weren't sure. Um, the the word Sith or the the role the name Dark Lord of the Sith popped up early doors in in that nineteen seventy six novelization. Um, yeah, with, with George Lucas's name on it, the ghost written by the mm-hmm. Aldine Foss. Well, just like the word Masasi, you know, we didn't know that they had any connection to the Sith, but in um, in the novelization and and in other early sources in the Marvel comics from the seventies, there are references to the Masasi temples on Yavin 4. Yeah. Um, and here, Kevin J. Anderson saw a, an opportunity for some synergy between these these different already established ideas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and he, he's really exploring this stuff and unpacking this stuff for the first time. And so, mm-hmm. so, so we're, we're getting some very unexpected stuff, which, which I always love. Yeah. It's it's surprising. We're getting Sith sorcery. We're getting um, not just battle mm-hmm. meditation, which had been established, you know, yes. in, in earlier written stories. And uh, yes, Sado's uh, there's a reference in the Fall of the Sith Empire to his old and forbidden Sith ways. Yes, which sound suspiciously similar to Jedi battle meditation, because he, he says much of our attack will be mere illusion. Absolutely. So he genuinely creates the illusion of a fleet of tens of thousands of ships and ground troops and this, this huge right. invading force that sort of catches which, people off guard. Which is, is very similar to the way that Jedi battle meditation is, is shown to work, that it's a, it's a war on a, on a mental plane. Like lending a, a new new meaning to psychological warfare. Absolutely, but 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 it's so often been the case um, throughout Star Wars lore. It's it's similar, but the Sith gives it a bit of a twist. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's got yeah. its own it's got its definite own flavor to it. Um, yeah. And and of course, we're thrown in here to basically a, a, an internecine struggle within the Sith mm-hmm. between um, Ludo Kresh. Uh, who, who seems to be more of a pure-blood Sith. He's got a lot more of the Sith alien features. Yeah, uh, And Nagasadar, who perhaps in a nod to the, the 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 panel that originally introduced him looking more human, he's a bit uh-huh. more the result of interbreeding with the Dark Jedi. So he's got more human features. He doesn't have the strange um, chin, but he has a pointy beard uh, to take his place. Right. Yeah, he looks kind of like uh, Thothamon from, from, the, uh, from the Conan comics. He's like a with with the sort of Babylonian headdress and everything. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and I guess there we see the start of... Uh, it's, it's not really expressly a part of the narrative of the Sith Empire that we see in the Legends comics and, and books, but the, this mm. idea of the conflict between the pure-blood Sith aliens and the humans... Kind of, the, right. the, they're constantly sort of up and down in terms of who's got the upper hand for a while until eventually we come to sort of the stuff that large, largely the stuff that has the old Republic branding on it and mostly the Sith aliens are gone, the red skinned aliens are gone. Right. And it's a very human centric empire. But they're mm-hmm. absolutely not at this point here. It, it, it's very much all to play for uh, and, and very much had yeah. the, the, the aliens, the, the Sith alien race in, in charge. Mm hmm. Yeah, which, yeah. Which, which is interesting. I guess it's one of those things that I, I don't really know what has prompted sort of the evolution of that storyline. If it's if it's just that writers wanted to make it human centric after this sort of strange anomalous introduction of these red skinned aliens, um, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. What, I'm not sure what's driven that. 
Well, I think because this, the Sith that we get to know originally, Darth Vader, Emperor Palpatine, are themselves human, uh, even if one is, is now more, more machine than man, uh, I, I think they just felt the need to bridge that gap uh, be, between this very different ancient past and the thing that we're all familiar with already. But at, at some point, that transition had to take place. Yeah, and what surprised me, um, I, I'm, I, I know some of these Tales of the Jedi stories uh, from reading them in the 90s, but I'm coming to a lot of the, other, the Old Republic stuff much mm. more recently than that. And yeah. I, I, it's quite, it, but in timeline terms, those stories aren't too far apart. You know, you, you're maybe you know, a couple Not of thousand years. years at most, you know, yeah. And it, it's interesting that within that short space of time, the aesthetic has changed so much. Uh, and, and the yeah. decision to make a human-centric you know, uh, antagonistic force is, is, is very much in place during that era as well. Right. Practically, the, the only other place in Legends that we see, and we haven't seen it at all in canon so far, uh, the, the ancient aesthetic is, funny enough, only a thousand years before the Battle of Yavin in the, the comic miniseries Jedi vs. Sith. Oh, which is great. It is. It is. It's it's really fun, um, and I I have loved that since it was published for its connection to um, the the Dark Forces series, which I yes, a, a, con- a connection that I wasn't games. aware of. I think until you DM'd me about it after after something yeah. had posted. <laughs> yeah, with the uh, the Battle of Rusan and and all, um, but yeah, in in that series, it's almost like the the artist hadn't gotten the memo about the other previously existing ancient star wars comics yeah because there's there's uh characters with bows and arrows and things in there it's it's a very oh, the, 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 there's a jedi there's a jedi master farfalla is that he, he's yes. basically he's basically a fawn yes <laughs> you know? exactly with, 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 like... the goat, with the goat legs and everything and, uh-huh. oh, and, his, and his spaceship is literally a ship with sails yes you, <laughs> you know uh, uh, it's like from treasure planet like a, a space going uh yeah, which, ship, yeah. which harks back to some, in, in, in a way to the, some of the aesthetics we're seeing here. You know, a lot of the spaceships in, in these um, Tales of the Jedi prequels, um, mm-hmm. they you, they have large fins that look a bit like seals, and you do see right. cables attaching them. And when they're coming into yeah. land, you see people in the ground, ground crews kind of anchoring them down with cables. It's you know, it, it, right. it, it, there's a nautical vibe to it. But but you're Absolutely. right, the, the the art in that Jedi versus Sith. Um, miniseries just goes way out there with that. It just runs. With yeah, it. yeah. It's it's a little bit like um, the uh, Star Wars Visions shorts, where they're they're just doing this very different, very inventive thing visually. Absolutely, and, and you know what, what was in, what's interesting about that to go off on another tangent. Jedi versus Sith obviously tells uh, the story of the Battle of Rusan and um, mm-hmm. the. the you know, Darth Bane's victory there over the rest of the Sith, and and when I guess yeah. when when Drew Carpetian came to do the, the Bane novel Path of Destruction, I guess he he was conscious he had to be faithful enough to that, but mm-hmm. didn't want to deal with the Jedi with goat legs or the you know the the, the strange looking pirate ship in space or any of that stuff. Right. Uh, so, we, so we sort of conveniently omits. There's never anything. There's rarely anything in in Carpetian's retelling of it that really contradicts. But he's by omission sort of rewriting it a little bit. Yes, you know? 
Yeah. And there's there's a there's a long history of doing that in Star Wars of kind of soft retcons. Like uh, I was talking with a friend recently about I Jedi, the the novel by uh, Michael Stackpole, which does some of that with Anderson's uh, Jedi Academy trilogy. He recounts some of the same events from different perspective. He omits certain details selectively. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I'm always a fan of that. And then there, there are people, particularly, I think, I guess, a lot of the new canon folk, uh, folk who have got on board with the publishing side of things after the canon reset, yes. I should say, uh, who who are maybe finding it harder to swallow when I don't know when when Dave Filoni isn't uh, terribly precious about something that appeared in a book or a comic, right? And, like and in the Ahsoka getting, novelization, yeah, yeah, that, indeed, or, or be it the Kanan comics or something like that. Yes, you know, yeah. I, I, the new canon has not been immune to that stuff um but it is very often it's that kind of squint a bit and you can sort of pretend it's the same thing from a certain point of view you know right the, the truth of the thing is very much still there in yes. most cases in most cases mm -hmm. um it's interesting that you mentioned soft reboots because here we've got um across these two story arcs um a, a sort of a, a version of something called the great hyperspace war um, with the Sith Empire, which has been sort of in isolation for a while, coming into contact with the Republic for the first time. Right. It is a sort of first contact story. And it's, it seems to be quite a short engagement, really, as it's, pre as it's presented here. You know, yeah. It, that it, was... it, feels, it feels like it can't have taken more than a couple of weeks, a couple of right. months, that maybe. Right. That was something I was really conscious of this read-through was, you know, I first read this as a, as a young fellow, and uh, really, it felt epic. You know, the art is so epic. And, and, um, and the story that they're telling is an epic along ancient lines, uh, I think very intentionally. But this time through, I thought, wait, this feels like it needs a middle act. Yeah. Like, like there needs to be more expansive war going on. Yeah. Here. Yeah, I, I, I wonder possibly if, if there had been a plan for it to be more expensive, but maybe these prequel stories just hadn't landed as well with readers as the original yeah. one had. And maybe, maybe they know. just cut it short. I don't know. I mean, I, I, yeah. it, it certainly feels that way, though, that it's it's such a it's such a big, expansive galaxy spanning, you know, Cecil B. DeMille kind of. It really sure, is. It's big. Cast of thousands. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not one sort of to, to moan about what might have been, but um, yeah, I, I was one of those folk who, when Tales of the Jedi, the animated series, turned out to not right. be anything to do with this stuff. <laughs> I was like, oh, that is such a shame because oh yeah, can you imagine seeing these stories adapted with oh, the resources no. that Lucasfilm has to play with? these days yeah. it just yeah. it would be superb um but in, in, in terms of how this uh great hyperspace war is presented here and, and how it's mm -hmm. touched on elsewhere are you familiar with cross current alex the the novel so cross current i am not that is one that fell through the cracks for me uh and i know jesse has has been uh talking about that some recently he's Re been yeah, reading well, that I, and... I mentioned to him that i want to talk about it on the show so i think he's doing his homework excellent <laughs> um, excellent so it's, it's, it's a book that sort of straddles two different time periods uh, in mm. the legends timeline 
Um, so it, the, the, there's the main story is really set. Um, I, I think it's maybe during or before the fate of the Jedi or Legacy of the Jedi. One of the, okay. one of those series post Return of the Jedi that I'm just not familiar with. I'm sorry to say. Mm. Um, but the sort of opening act of it, maybe the opening hundred pages or so, is actually set during this great hyperspace war. Huh. And so, so I wanted to talk about it on the oh, show wow. while we're thinking about these comics and these stories because it kind of deserves to be talked alongside us. Not least because it, it's it is a soft reboot of sorts of this. Look. Yeah, it's it, it suggests a much more expansive conflict. You t- it talks about people whose military careers have sort of risen and fallen over the course of this conflict. Wow! Oh, I have got to get a copy of that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's the only. Star Wars prose that we've got that really deals with the great hyperspace war. So as someone who's a fan of these comics, I think you'd really yeah. you'd find it fascinating. I'm certainly not aware of any others. That That is fascinating. Um, but it, it, it has a, a slightly different flavor to it because I, I guess by, by the sure. point it was written in, I don't know, maybe 2009, 2010, these stories were a decade and a half old. We're getting on mm-hmm. for that, you know. Um, so I guess they'd had time to bed down, see where they really live in the sort of the overall body of law, and then yeah. try to find a way to dovetail it with it you know, and make it feel a bit more smoother and a bit more of a piece with other stuff that's happened since, you know? Yeah, that the, the tone of, of Star Wars has been fairly consistent, but, but also amorphous over the years. There, certain things have shifted... Yeah, no, it, it's never, it's never one, it's never one thing, um, which is why, again, I, I struggle when people moan online about something that's quite unexpected or out of left field or not what they expect Star Wars to be, because it has always been this sort of movable feast, and it's, it's, it's one a, of the great, it's one of the great strengths of the. Thing, it's a big it? tent. It really is, you know. It's 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 a yeah. big, it's a big old church. Uh, there's room and, for yes. lots of different stuff, you know. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> And not all of it has to be for me or for no, you. No, indeed, indeed. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm maybe more than most. I, I, I tend to like it all of it, in, in, to some degree. Um, right. I, I'm fairly omnivorous in my my Star Wars uh, enjoyment. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it was it, when when I first came across you online, Alex, along with a handful of others. It, you know, it, yeah. it, it's always a pleasure to find someone who's uh, an ardent Legends fan, but also has room in their heart for the newer stuff you know because right. that, those two things don't always go hand in hand and and that is one of as you've you've pointed out previously on this podcast one of the great and surprising strengths of the star wars bookstagram group uh is it's, it's very positive there there is a lot of love for star wars uh, i think part of that comes with you know it, it I mean, part of it might be a little bit of Stockholm syndrome, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, you're, we're held hostage by this thing because we're, we're so invested in it that we will like yeah. it, damn it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think it's more than that. Um, I, I think, you know, you can't help but when you are consuming all of these stories in their myriad wonder and the myriad yeah. forms they come in, you can't help but have a broader perspective on what Star Wars is. Well, Star and... Wars, you know? It helps to have a certain charity in approaching these stories by literally hundreds of different writers at this point, um, just assuming the best of them and their intentions. And maybe you're not going to like everything, but you can probably like something about everything. 
yeah absolutely there's always something to look for and if your first reaction is, and i've been there you know if you, you know mm. if your first reaction is i hate this and this is the worst bit of stories i've ever seen <laughs> um you know it's worth taking a step back and thinking okay but but why is it what it is because yeah. it is it you know me, me standing on the sidelines and screaming at it and calling it not star wars is insane um, because it is yeah. Star Wars, it has Star Wars on the label, <laughs> and, you know. So, so it's like, okay, well, let's sit back. And why is it this way? And coming mm. back at it that way, you know, I've I've come back to things um, that I have not gotten on board with immediately, and I've realised, okay, that was one of those instances when I, I brought it. You know, I encountered in the cave what I brought with me, and maybe right. you know, right? May, maybe it was me, not the not the you know the, the product itself um sure. we've gone off on mad tangents so let we have but it, let's get oh, back to it it's great um <laughs> what what about the jedi in these stories alex um again they're slightly different but maybe not maybe not as different um as the sith yeah so something that strikes me a lot about the portrayal of the jedi in these two miniseries uh golden age of the sith and and fall of the sith empire even more than the other Tales of the Jedi comics, is there really does not appear to be a Jedi order per se in operation. They're presented much more as individuals than members. Uh, it's, it's more like a confraternity or, or brotherhood that's, that's sort of loosely organized than a, a monolithic kind of structured religious order yeah there, there is a republic and there's a there, there's somebody i think it, it, it's interchangeably referred to as a council and assembly and a senate <laughs> but yeah that all seems yeah, to be that, that all seems fuzzy. to be that all seems to be the republic sort of governmental institution and yeah. you know, we certainly see some jedi present at a meeting or a convocation of that body. more in an advisory role though like it's it's not a Jedi Council. No, no. Um, and, 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 and even when um, Jedi Odinur and others are trying to sort of garner the support of other Jedi, it it, it, it feels more like a roundup, and sort of the uh, other Jedi are coming to him and saying, "Well, we're behind you. Let's get some others." And, you know, yeah. You know, the, there's there's yes. no sort of diktat coming from the head Jedi saying, "We need to go do this." No. And what what's really fascinating to me about this is. These were published a couple of years before the prequel trilogy began. And in the prequel trilogy, the vision that we're given of the old Jedi Order and the vision that we're given in these comics both pull out certain threads of what we had seen previously of the Jedi in the original trilogy. So neither of them are flying in the face of established facts or trying to retcon anything, but they, they lean into different sides of what Lucas's original portrayal was. Yeah. So in the original trilogy, the Jedi that we meet are hermits. They're living by themselves. They're, they're isolated. Um, kind of, you know, crazy old wizard. Uh, but they also happen to be basically celibate monastics. Yeah. So 
in these comics and, and throughout the 90s, we get the emphasis of the Jedi as these kind of loners out on the edge of civilization. Uh, they're, they're not really organized into the kind of order that we see in, in the prequels. Um, and they get married. They have families. You know, yeah. you know. Uh, but then in the prequels... Uh, we see, oh no, they're they're very organized. This is a this is a monastic order. This is like the Shaolin Temple or like you know the Benedictines or something. But uh, again, it, it's it's possible for for Luke to have been and and Leia to have been born the the children of a Jedi because oh well, even though they they're they're monks essentially, they don't get married. Uh, well, one of them cheated. You know, it's, it's like it's not a it's not a retcon; it's a loophole. The history of that idea is fascinating to me because I, I don't think it was really confirmed until Attack of the Clones dropped that they were intended to be celibate. We even had comics coming out sort of around yes. about the time and after Phantom Menace, which had I think it's Kiadi Mundi. Mundi has a whole family. A whole, well, he has a whole harem of wives because of their their low birth rate. They, he he was allowed this this dispensation. I think that's a retcon, right? It, it was. I can I confess that I'm quite fond of a lot of the stories in that Rise of the Sith Dark Horse Omnibus that those, oh, appear, that those appear in, but that's the one story arc that I've never gone back and reread. Yeah, that one is. That was the first prelude to rebellion. I think it was called. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, those, those are the earliest issues, aren't they? Yeah. The Star Wars Republic. Yeah, the first comic. six or so. Yeah, yeah. Republic was a that was a great comic. Uh, Ostrander, John Ostrander's, I think one of the the best Star Wars comic writers. Yeah, ever. I've got some of that stuff coming up on my own sort of rereading and reading schedule, so I'm very much Excellent. looking forward to getting back to, but particularly his Quinlan Boss stuff. Nice. Oh, those are. Have you read them before? Yeah, but again, I'm going back maybe as old as my son is now, so you know, seven or yeah. eight years. Wow. Um. Nice. Yeah. So the the Jedi are they're they're, they're quite different. Um. The in terms of aesthetics, um, I love some of the designs here. Mm -hmm. We get some very far out character designs. Yeah, we've got a Jedi Master Uru, who's essentially sort of a jellyfish-like creature, sort of trapped inside a large in a, a, crystal, a, a crystalline structure, structure filled with gas yes. or, or liquid or something that sort of that floats around on some sort of mechanical repulsor. Thing. Absolutely uh, delightful. I, I think the the first really far out uh, design like that, that that I'm aware of in Star Wars was in the uh, West End Games Star Wars role playing game. Uh, there was a, a alien student of the Force character archetype uh, that was was envisioned, and they and they made it a, a little miniature of it too, a, a cuter miniature uh, of this sort of jellyfish creature with a lightsaber. Um, and I, I think maybe that was one of the inspirations for Master Uru. Fantastic visual ideas in here. And, and on the other side of things, we've got um, uh, the, the Sith Lord Seamus, who's basically survived decapitation and is. Yes! <laughs> is, yes. You know, it's like, for, forget about Darth Maul, working, you know living without a yeah. ha half a digestive tract this guy's um, just a head this, this guy has no body and it's so he, demented. He's, he's carried around ceremonially in sort of the, in this case um yes so, <laughs> and the, the dynamic of, and things 
the the dynamic of those those Sith uh, lords all squabbling with each other reminded me so much on this read through of the uh, the Skeksis in the Dark Crystal. Mm-hmm. You're yes. familiar with with that? Yeah, they're all like, who's going to be the next emperor? Forming these little cliques and scheming against each other. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, they're very different in in, in in terms of the visuals to anything we've seen before or since, but um, very yeah. much very much on brand for the Sith anyway. That, 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 mm-hmm. That's been consistent anyhow. The weird science. Yeah. yeah. Um, so these stories, to get us back on track again, these stories yeah. were written sort of towards the end of the Tales of the Jedi run as, pre- mm-hmm. as prequels, essentially. Um, how well are they stacking up for you on their own merits? Well, either sort of on their own merits or yeah. a, a, as they are usually presented in collected editions now as kind of the opening act to this era of Star Wars tales. So on their own merits, I think pretty well. Um, we, we touched a little earlier on how the, the story does feel like it could have used a bit more room to breathe. Um, and I, I think that's, that's its biggest weakness. Um, but as an attempt at telling a kind of Star Wars biblical epic, uh, I, I think it comes off pretty well. Um, it's it's a tragedy, which is is interesting and and um, maybe unique uh, among Star Wars comics. Uh, I, I think it's it's meant to be read even as as a tragedy along classical. Aristotelian lines, right? You have these these protagonists, Gavin and Jory Dargon, uh, who bring about well their own ruin and the the downfall of uh, the Sith Empire at the time, and the, you know they bring war to the Republic uh, because of uh, a, a a fatal flaw. Uh, Gav says, my, my own petty anger has led me to bring this devastating war to the Republic. Uh, l- later, uh, when he's, he's trapped in the, the sphere, uh, he says, I, I did this to myself. I can't get out of here, but you can. Yeah. That, that line always stops me in my tracks every time. Yeah. It, it, and then and maybe it's just it's the way that panel is presented as well. It's, you know, it's just the voice bubble coming out of the the sphere in space, yeah, and he's just yeah. he's alone. Yeah, he is yeah. stuck, and he's just he's yeah. You're right. He's admitting to himself, I, "I've done this to myself." And and the seed of that was planted all the way back in, um, was it issue one or issue issue zero, uh, where they're shown when their parents are still alive, and they're presented as these very kind of indolent, entitled youths. They think they're special. You know, the, the rules don't apply to them. Mm-hmm. And that's what gets them in trouble from the beginning is they start skirting the rules, breaking the law. Um, and we feel the weight of this all along. Uh, it's, it's not like, yeah. you know, we're rooting for them because, well, yeah, they, they deserve this. It, it really feels like, eh, you know, this, this hut, Arba has... He's been reasonable with Yeah, him. yeah. He, ex- he extends them credit for a long time. He gives them right. their parentship back. Um, yeah. They, they sort of, the, the, he gives them an inch and they take a mile. And right. it all falls down around and, them. And, and that attitude is what has this domino effect 
uh, is is that that hubris, that feeling that well, I'm I'm above the rules. I'm special. I'm a protagonist. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think on its own as a kind of classical tragedy in the the Star Wars galaxy in fancy dress, uh, I, I I think it works pretty well as an introduction to the 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 rest of the tales of the jedi comics ah it's 2000 years before them so there's there's quite a gap however because uh Kevin J Anderson first collaborated with with Tom Vetch on on the uh Freedom Nat uprising and then took over the the later arcs it, it, there there is some some common uh common ground in there some common ideas that he explores so he, he does kind of tie it together um but it it still does feel more like its own thing what would you say when i first came across this because I, I have i have lots of nostalgia for the original tom vetch run in particular those Same. those were the ones that i read in, in the 90s as a teenager um so i came to and i think i'd maybe read also i definitely read Anderson's Jedi Academy trilogy, and I, I'm yeah. pretty sure I read some of the Exar Kun stuff mm -hmm. in, in the Tales of the Jedi run as well. Um, yeah. But these were new to me when I when I read, picked up the Dark Horse Omnibus maybe seven or eight years ago, mm. and I, I didn't find them as satisfying as the earlier Tales of the Jedi published, mm. the earlier published Tales of the Jedi stories. Um, I, I find. Jory and uh, Gav Daragon, the twins, sort of, they, they felt, as you said, you, you sort of, you first come across them, these sort of indolent, um, sort of entitled youngsters. Yeah. And they reminded, they reminded me too much of, um, is it Satal and Alima Kito from, yes. from the later Tales of the Jedi run? It sort of felt like, we'd, I, I felt we'd seen them before and it took a while for them to take on their own characters for me. Right, and they certainly do. By the time Jory is making a break for it, unwittingly being tracked by the yeah, Sith, yeah. but by the time she's trying to get back to the Republic and warn everybody, I'm kind of I'm with her on that. I'm kind of okay. Well, at least now she's trying to do the right thing, even though she's being used. Um, right. But uh, I, I I didn't warm to those characters, and we spent so much time away from the Jedi in that first run, in particular, in the the, the Golden Age of the Sith. That, that right. wasn't really we building have... strong connections to the Jedi or the Republic, but I was fascinated by the Sith and, and, and yeah. by yeah. that conflict that was playing out between uh, Nagasado and Ludocrash. And I think my appreciation for these stories has grown, I think, as I've read other legends lore and getting into you know, picking up other bits and pieces about the history of the Sith and sort of the up and the down of the Redskin Dillians versus the humans and all of that. Mm. And I kind of, I think they've found their place with me um as as an important part of of the whole um I, for me they're weaker than the other tales of the jedi stories but they, they, mm. they they're fascinating and i do enjoy going back to them yeah nice i think that's probably going to wrap us up to be honest we've gone way over brief on this, this, this we have we've set a new we've set a new record alex <laughs> oh no e e even if i edit this down a bit it's yeah. gonna be a beast of a 15 minute episode um yeah. <laughs> but it, it yeah but it's all good stuff uh there's so much to pull out of of, the, of these stories um so 
uh alex where can folk find you if they want to find if you want to be found online sure um i don't have much of an online presence but uh i can be found uh at bookstagrammaticus uh on instagram uh and i have some original uh short stories and poems uh up at illuminations of the fantastic which you can find if you Google those words. Fantastic. I did not know about your writing. I am going to be looking those up. Of course, folks can find me as at Journals of the Wills on Instagram. That's Journals with an S and Wills with an itch. Uh, I'm also on Threads and Twitter. Who knows how long Threads will last? Um, <laughs> but I'm mostly on Instagram. And Instagram is my happy place. Um, and of course, you can reach out to the podcast team on any of those platforms. Uh, just look for at SWBC podcast. Uh, Legends in 15 minutes will be back in two weeks looking at Paul S. Kemp's novel Cross Current. Next week, Canon in 15 minutes returns with a look at James Lucino's novel Tarkin. Uh, in the meantime, it's goodbye from Alex. Adios. And goodbye from me. Thanks for listening, folks. May the force be with you. Bye.